Hello, hello. Welcome to Chicana Motherwork Podcast, episode three. It's so nice to be here with you all again. Uh, this episode is dedicated to someone very special, uh, to Chunky Ramon Sanchez, uh, an icon in San Diego who represents cultural tradition, uh, the perpetuation of music as resistance, and as someone who created a space for us to go to as young Chicanas, Chicanos living in San Diego, there in Logan, um, Barrio Logan, at a place called Chicano Park. And it's an honor to dedicate this episode to him. Uh, he passed away October 28th this last month. And it was a big loss to not only the San Diego community, but to our community at large, because his music reached so many people in all walks of life. So uh, it's an honor today also to have his daughter here on our podcast to share a little bit about her father, about what he means also to the community, but as a father, you know, what, what, what is that relationship between her um, and having to share this amazing public figure with this larger community? So. Esme is our colega, someone that helped us out during our first episode. We gave her a shout out, I think in episode one. And so it's nice to, to have her back. So Esme Sanchez. Hi, thank you. Thank you for welcoming me. Can you all hear her okay? See, si. tell her to come all closer to the mic. All right, so welcome Esme. So, um, you know, we, we want to share a little bit of his music here on, um, on our show. We're going to start with the Chicano Park Samba, and then we also want to talk about the song Linda Chicana, and you were mentioning that you had a favorite one of his songs. Which one was that? Um, I have quite a few. You know, um, I think one that sits for the times right now is Fire in the Sky, um, and you know, it just really talks about, um, and actually it's an old song, but it talks about, you know, um, the movement that's happening right now, you know, this this fight for fossil fuels, you know, um, fossil fuels um, around the world, you know, and how it's destroying communities. So I think that, that that's just really close to home right now because of everything happening, you know, not only around the world, but just right here in our backyard in uh, North Dakota um, with Mini Wachosini. So it's a, it's a song that sits close to my heart right now. Well, te acompañamos en tu dolor, Esme. Thank you for making time to be here. Um, and do you have any memories of your father that you want to share? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's, there's, you know, so many, you know, through every era of my life and every, uh, you know, milestone of my life. And um, I think that this part is, is hard now because he was not only my father, but, you know, probably one of my closest like confidants, you know, we could just sit and talk and, and share and, and share in such a unique way, you know, about whether it be about the movement or music or neighborhood chisme, you know, it was, um, it was something that the relationship that I think um, me and all my siblings had with our father, you know, that I don't think people really knew that, how, how close we were to him and the really unique kind of conversations we would have with him um, and how he always, he always made each and every one of us feel so special, you know? So I think that that's probably the hardest part is, is just not being able to pick up the phone and just, 
you know, just being able to share funny stories or laugh with him or cheese me out with him or, you know, talk politics with him. Um, so I think that that's probably, you know, a great loss in my heart and in my mind. And also, too, you know, just as a, a mother and, you know, him being such a great, you know, um, him being a, a role model for my children, you know, and, and him being there for my kids, you know, he, um, my children really miss him as well. You no know, one had a really unique and close relationship with him and loved him dearly. So I think that's the hard part, you know, um, not only do does a community lose a great activist and organizer and musician, but, you know, my children lose a grandfather. So just those very simple things that we no longer have. Yeah, that's, it's a big loss. Um, so we dedicate this episode to his to his memory. I've been lucky enough to work with filmmaker Paula Espinosa in the last four years on a film about the great Chunky Sanchez. We just had a successful crowdfunding campaign online because we were trying to finish the film, and um, and it was you know unbelievable to know that just a couple weeks later Chunky left us here in this world. But we know that his music generates so much more energy um, <clears throat> beyond, you know, what we have in front of us. And so the film should be available this coming spring. It'll premiere and we'll hopefully be able to make an announcement about it here on our podcast. But um, I guess what we can do now is maybe, Judy, you can give us a roadmap on what we're going to be doing in today's episode as we honor Chunky Sanchez um, in episode number three. Okay, so now we're going to go ahead and give you a roadmap for the show. Um, we will have, um, we'll first start with a very much needed election processing circle. Um, then we'll go into the ro rotating segment, which is protest tips for parents and kids. And then we'll move into the how to be an ally and five ways to disrupt racism. And then we'll close it up with shout outs and announcements. So now we're going to go into. Um, we have a, a processing circle about the election. Um, I know people on social media were sharing um, a lot of tools and documents and resources, so this was one that caught our eye, and um, so we're going to be doing it here on the air for the podcast. Uh, so I'll be facilitating it, um, and we'll post the link online if you're interested in uh, doing something similar uh, with any if any listeners are interested in that. Um, so the election processing circle, um, we're going to, um, you know, do a check-in, um, discuss a little bit about the election results, and then close it up. Um, so the first thing uh, before we start, we just want to state the purpose for the talking circle. Um, so I'll just read the statement from the document. Um, we are sitting in a circle to build connection and camaraderie between us as we process through the election results and what we feel that means for our future. When we sit in circles like this, we are borrowing a tradition from Native people who use this as a practice to hear and value the voices of each member of the community. And um, just very quickly, just some quick acuerdos or guidelines. So um, we're gonna speak from the heart, what's true in your perspective listen from the heart, don't make assumptions and listen fully, say just enough, um, give enough information for others, uh, try and stay mentally present and, um, and, and respect the talking space. So um, 
and usually um, sometimes if other folks want to add any other acuerdos or agreements before we start. But um, so we'll just go ahead and get into um, start the do the introduction to the talking piece. So um, so in talking circles, uh, we often have uh, a symbol or something that we all connect with. So what we chose for today is just, um, I brought with me um, a bundle of sage from my house and also um, agua de rosa, which is like a, a rose water, rose tincture, rose quartz, gemstone essence, rose flower. Um, so I've been spraying this ever since the election, uh, you know, taking all my medicinas and oils and everything that I have. So I brought these two items because I think uh, as women of color, as Chicanas, Indígenas, um, these objects mean a lot to us. And, um, and so we'll use this as a talking circle. So when we go around, I'll pass these objects around. Um, and you know, this is our medicines, or it has been our medicine that has helped us survive you know, 500 years of colonization and we're still going to continue to survive with these. Uh, so now we're going to go into the check-in. Um, so we're all going to go around and we're going to share our emotional feeling through a color and what that color means. So for example, um, I feel dark blue because I feel sad. Uh, and so whoever wants to uh, go ahead, feel free to share. everyone this is Judy and um, I hope this makes sense but I feel dark and I don't like to emphasize the dark because I it's a good thing for me <laughs> but just in how um, how it's so white so that would be the color um, that I see how how clearly it's it's, it's just it's, the whiteness is all around me I see it even more I felt it in classrooms and in spaces such as institutions, but now I see it, I feel like I see it even more now um, wherever my brown presence um, is located. All right, so we're passing down the sage and um, the Agua de Rosa, this is Yvette. Uh, for me, um, the feeling, the. The color that I associate with my feelings right now is green, um, because when I think of green, like immediately following the election results and the fact that I could not believe what I was seeing on the New York Times was this feeling of disgust, this feeling of something like rotting or molding or falling apart. And to me, green can be that, but green can also mean life, you know, plants, Mother Earth. So for me, it's like, how can we all, like this is survival mode, like what do we need to do and take action to stay alive? It's, it's to that point. So for me, I feel green. I feel uh, like on the one end, I feel like things are falling apart, things are, you know, starting to rot. And then at the, on the other hand, like this is when we have to take the most action to, to maintain life. And so um, that's, that's kind of how I'm processing it. Um, I think that for me, when I think of this is Michelle again, and for me, when I was thinking about this, um, orange comes to mind. And the reason I think about orange is because I'm reminding of the light of the border valleys that happened when I was in high school, um, in 1990. 
and basically it was San Diego citizens, you know, um, showing up along the border with their bright headlights, about 250 people lined up towards Tijuana to remind folks that they weren't welcome here, right? So they were trying to light up the border to prevent them from migrating across. And I grew up with um, those signs on the freeways with people running across, you know, warning drivers of people coming across, et cetera, et cetera. And so that context created a, a particular experience for me as a young person growing up in a border town. And um, I've spent the last 20 years of my life trying to build away from that and build towards different. So it feels like I'm going back to that place, um, which for as a mother of a 10 year old, it's, 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 a, it's scary. It is scary because I'd never wanted her to experience Uh, for me, this is um, Esmeralda. Um, I really, one of the first colors was purple, but, you know, as I think it through, you know, it, it's turquoise. Um, and something that, you know, I, I think about with turquoise represents, it encourages inner healing and thoughts, the ability to enhance empathy and carry. It enhances our intuitive ability and opens the door for spiritual growth. And so if at any point we as a people want to truly bring healing to our communities, and move forward. Not only do we have to do it in a different way, but we have to do it together. And so I feel like this is the time, this is our time, and that we should not be walking in fear, we should not be walking in a state of crisis, but really understand that we have the medicine of our ancestors with us, that we have this sage, that we have this agua, the sacred water, you know, and so that we have the medicine of our ancestors. And with that, with that, we will be able to do what our children need of us. With that, we can't walk in this state of fear because when we walk in this state of fear, that's how we raise our children, to be fearful. And so I really feel that we need to have a stronghold, understand that this medicine that we carry is the medicine of our abuelitas, it's the medicine of their abuelitas, you know, so that we can't let that go and to stay in that state of mind. You know, when we want to become fear-based, when we want to become... <clears throat> you know, very, you know, just reactive to what's happening. You know, we have to remember that our parents and our grandparents have already done this work. So we have to learn from it and we have to do it in a better strategic way, unified, you know, with sustainability, a way that it's going to sustain for the next seven generations, not just for the next 10 years or 20 years, but the next seven generations. So I, I think that that's where I'm at right now when I think about, you know, what color I feel and, and where I'm at and in my own personal my own personal healing and my own grief. So thank you. Uh, this is uh, Ceci. Um, and I, I've been feeling so many emotions. Uh, I think I go back from being feeling like red, feeling angry to then feeling kind of numb. So I would say kind of like, I don't know, what's the color of ice, like ice blue or something. But, um, but what I want to talk about is um, brown or feeling brown. And, um, but when I think of brown, I think of my son. So when I woke up on Wednesday and I had to explain, because I, I wanted him to hear it from me before he went to school because he's in first grade. So, um, and talking about, you know, telling him 
that Trump was elected and what that means for us. It was, you know, just a short conversation, but, um, you know, telling him, you know, we're brown people and we're going to be okay and we're going to be safe and we're going to fight with love and, you know, that's what we can do. And, um, and that our, my mom and my dad, my, his grandparents were strong, you know, because they came here as undocumented people and now we're here and we could, we could fight with love for our brown bodies and our brown skin, our brown is sacred. And this is what was on my mind also when I took him to the march in downtown LA yesterday and you know, seeing 100,000 people, um, all kinds of people, but people of color especially. And, you know, trying to find hope in that and, and, and um, so I still feel I kind of like vacillate between like the anger and being reactive and then feeling numb, but then trying to find that space of hope, which is what I do see as brown people or the color brown. This is Christine. Um, I feel uh, it's good to hear uh, Esme's voice, and it's good to hear her medicine. Um, I'm really emotional, so I feel uh, different shades of blue. Uh, I'm just in a lot of uh, pain and. I feel like I just need like the orders of the elders at this point, and that's why I asked Esme, like, what would your dad tell us? Um, so I just I'm kind of hurting for the community and um, for my friends who who have a lot of fear. So I'm just kind of waiting for my breakthrough because usually when I'm emotional like this, I I always have a breakthrough. And uh, just kind of sitting with uh, the disbelief and, and the pain and the fear. And so, uh, so I'm having a difficult time choosing one color when I feel like I'm just different. Of different colors, and, and I don't want to sit in fear. I have all these privileges, and I also have that ceremony where I met Esme a long time ago, and you know she represents that power and that strength, and, and I feel like you're right. So I think right now I'm just kind of like, what are the orders, right? Like, what are the orders? What are we supposed to do next? Um, just because I, I don't know how to fight it within myself, so I feel like, what do we got to do? Um, so that's how I'm feeling and <clears throat> kind of going with the, the really huge waves, the colors of the ocean, like the really huge waves, the little, really small ones, and the really, really gentle ones, and then always remembering how how strong we are and how powerful we are like the ocean. It's um, so, and even with water, there's always this cleansing, so I think there's this transition of cleansing of the soul and the spirit. Um, so I'm, I'm just, that's where I'm at. And that's how I feel. And, um, 
Thank you for sharing, Christine. I appreciate those words. And, you know, I think about some of the things my dad would say is he would say, you know, get up and get busy. The revolution waits for nobody. Or, you know, mueva terraza. Ponte trucha raza. Those are words that would come from his mouth, you know. So those are the words that I, I think about, you know, and I sit with. And, you know, for each and every one of us, that revolution can be different. You know, it could be the revolution within our own home, with our own children, you know, within our own community, within our own family, you know, whether it's that, that fight and that struggle of resistance that you guys do every day in the academic world, you know, or, or the fight and the struggle of a single mom just, you know, trying to raise her children right, teaching them to eat healthy, you know, read, you know, be, be active, stay healthy mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. That's the revolution, you know, and so how we manifest that, it's up to each and every one of us. You know, we have to do that work unified. We have to do it unified now. Now we have to stand together, you know, now we have to do it with not just all of our sisters here and our, and our comadres and our mothers, but with our brothers as well. You know, we have to stand together and do this work together. This is the time, you know, this is the time that, that all of our ancestors and our elders have prepared us for. And we have to be strategic, and we have to be diligent, and we have to take care of each other, because that's what they taught us. That's what these ways taught us. So, you know, thank you so much for letting me be a part of this podcast and letting me share just a little bit about who I am and what my mother and my father gave me, you know. And as I was thinking back, you know, these last couple of days, I, I thought about, you know, why was my dad so active? Why was he so you know, resistant? Why was he, he all, always in the community and, you know, sometimes not at home. And I thought about, man, it was in a high crisis time, you know, in high school, you know, 187, my dad was out there marching, singing, you know, with the people. And so I think about that, you know, I think about, you know, what I was raised in, you know, how, how we were raised never to eat grapes, you know, how we never ate Campbell, you know, those, those little things that we were raised with that I didn't understand until now. You know, so I, I think about how do I how do I continue that work for my own children, you know, and how do I continue to to help them to understand that that this is the work of our people, you know, and this is not just the work for us, but for the next seven generations. And so continuing to be to be visionary in that, you know, how do we stay strong, stay consistent, you know, and support each other in this high crisis time. So at times it is good to be reactive, but at other times it's good to be strategic, to organize, to help each other, to unify. Thank you, Esme, for your words and wisdom and encouragement um, from your father and for all the generations of our ancestors or the reason that we're even here, because we have resisted. And in what ways can we do this strategically? And, and um, that's another part of the, uh, another prompt for the circle is in what ways can we build community and how can we do this? And um, so if anyone wants to share um, an action or an idea that can dismantle the racism, xenophobia um, that we're experiencing, especially in this moment. I'm, we've already have been experiencing it, but now it's a different kind of struggle. Um, so what are the things that we can do 
whether it's with our children at home um, or in other spaces that we're in. Um, one idea that I had is really thinking about um, how to, how are we going to raise the next generation? So since we're all, everyone on this podcast is a mother. Uh, and I was thinking about my son. And when I took him to the mar the protest downtown in LA yesterday, and um, there was a moment where he was laughing and happy. And I was thinking about it. and um, And I said, well, what can children teach us? And I was thinking of like, even just his laughter or his smile. I'm like, what makes kids happy? You know, that can help lead the way. So like, you know, we don't want uh, like the joy. So I was thinking like the joy of children can be something that could help us imagine liberation. So what would, what would, what would that look like for Alan Cito? And he's already said, I don't want someone mean to be president. So, you know, this is the way he understands it as a six-year-old. And it's just like, okay, that would make him happy, you know? So these are guiding principles that we could use, that we can learn or, you know, or help teach our children. And how can we do that together? Because I'm, I'm thinking, as, as me said earlier, like a short-term kind of crisis that we're in now, but also longer-term, like when Alan Sita grows up, I do, I want to raise him to be... Um, an active person who will engage in whatever way he chooses. Um, so what can the, the happiness of children tell us about what we need to do? Um, this is Judy. Uh, so I think um, just going along with what Ceci's saying, it's these, having these discussions, a lot of people are saying, you know, with even with the protests, those that are um, choose to ignore it or just kind of like over it, um, it's, it's, it's hard to see that. They're just like, well, there's nothing you can do about it anymore. You know, he's, he's the president now. But it's just having those dis discussions um, everywhere with our, fa with our own families, um, um, because even for for me for my for my younger sisters um, that you know um, they just kind of feel like okay there's nothing I can do about it anymore you know like I I voted that should be good you know and he didn't win and so they feel sort of hopeless but long term how is that going to affect us and so it's important for us to keep talking about it um, with our kids with our with our parents as well. Um, but yeah, just that. I think for myself, um, as a teaching assistant at UCLA Chicano Studies, um, I always, always learn a lot from a lot from my students, and so uh, I like to think that most of my students in my classroom um, were looking for answers. It was like literally the day after. And so we had a discussion. We kind of we followed this curriculum, actually, as much as we could. We were running out of time. So um, one thing that, you know, I heard and learned from 
constant discussions of with my colleagues and folks on campus is take care of each other, look out for each other, um, despite of how you voted. Because um, I have a couple of white students who, who are, are, are working through it and are down. Um, uh, so I think I'm blessed in that area where I'm not being challenged that way. And I'm glad because, you know, when I worked in Salt Lake City, I was challenged a lot. Um, but when I worked here, at least my students um, were open to to having this discussion. What does this mean now? And I even asked them, do you remember Prop 187? And they're like, probably weren't even born at that time. Um, I was in junior high. And so they're like, no, and I'm like, that's basically what's going to happen again. We're going to have to take the streets again. You're going to have to protest. Um, but they were like, we're waiting for discussion to be over so we can go to the UCLA protest. I'm like, cool. That's good. Go do that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm here. I'm here right now to hold space for you the best way I can. Um, and I think that's something I'm trying to think about, too, is like, uh, I, I saw something on, on Instagram, like, do not shame people for not going to the protest, do not shame people for not engaging in certain ways. And I thought that was important because um, I think part of my guilt was, like, I couldn't make it to these protests, right? But I also think about what happens to the children if you do take them. Like, I, I was uncertain because when I didn't have children, I was at the protest all the time. Um, we even organized some of the walkouts at the high schools. But that was just me. Like, now it's the children. I, and I think that's also gets at me a little bit more. It's like, we got to take care of the little ones. Um, so I told my students, que bueno que están haciendo el trabajo, because, you know, um, that's, that makes me feel like, okay, like, I don't have, we don't have to freaking push you, get extra credit to go. Like, you're doing it out of your own will. So it's really cool to, um, to be in that space uh, to see the younger folks to, to like organizing and taking the lead and going to these protestas. Um, <clears throat> sorry. So at least that's something I think um, is helpful. Um, Um, I just want to echo what everybody else has said. Like for me, um, one way that I'm fighting against everything that's going on right now is to make space. So making space for me means if I'm at work and a student comes in and they're here for services, I actually checking in with them. Like, how are you doing? And if they ask me, how, are, how am I doing? Being honest, you know what? I'm having a tough time. I'm still processing the election results. I'm seeing how it's affecting students. People are dropping out from applications because they're worried about their, you know, DACA status. They don't know what implications it has. And like actually talking about these issues with all folks, not just people of color, but also my white colleagues. And to be like, these are some of the implications. This is what might happen. And this is what we can do about it is to basically make space everywhere um, to, you know, not necessarily maintain professional um, expectations and to like put yourself out there and to uh, you know make others feel uncomfortable for the sake of making space for those that need it and same thing with family you know I didn't grow up with a family that went out and protested I didn't even grow up with a family that went out and voted and this election we were really trying to like push people like hey everybody has to vote okay everybody has to go out and do this okay and and just like having those uncomfortable conversations with folks who may not want to have them and just you know for the sake of someone who might be listening not everybody's going to listen but making that space to me is like one small daily radical act at a time it's you know if you're on the bus it's 
calling someone out when they're saying something that's disrespectful. It's sitting next to someone, you know, because you're trying to, like, we're going to talk about the tips of how to stop certain, you know, racist, sexist attacks. Um, it's, it's doing the little things that you can do because, like Christine said, not all of us can make it to the big protests or not all of us feel comfortable. Not all of us feel comfortable being on Facebook. Not all of us feel comfortable engaging in certain ways. So we've got to do what we can in whatever ways we can. I feel like, um, uh, you know, I've been, I haven't, you know, I, my youth was spent <laughs> 227, 209, 187, right? And like I said, that was, that's what I sort of, how I became politicized. And, uh, and it's interesting because I don't feel myself drawn to the massive protests yet. You know, I'm not saying that I won't. Um, and I've been really in the last few days sort of sitting with this idea that I've um, been building on my entire adult life, which is something that was taught to me by the Zapatistas. And I've said this in any place that I can, um, is that I was taught that you, no hay que luchar para destruir, hay que luchar para crear, which means, you know, you mustn't struggle to destroy, but you must struggle to create. And so that, you know, I'm trying to reimagine what that will look like today, um, given, you know, whatever conditions that we, we find ourselves in. But of course, now the rising xenophobia or the so, sort of more overt um, expressions of bigotry and hatred that we're living. I mean, it's not new, right? It's a continued, it's a continued history, uh, but just emerging in a different way. So, so I'm sitting with that. What are we going to be creating? Thank you. I also, yeah, I also believe in, you know, you're talking about, you know, creating a space. I believe in holding a space, you know, so holding these sacred spaces uh, to feel safe so that, you know, whether it be in our home or in our, in our spiritual circles or with our comadres or, you know, our families so that we could go out there and do this work. And that's going to be really important, you know, because those who are out on the front lines, those who are, are doing this work, wherever it may be that we have to be able to take care of our own medicine and our own our own spirit before we go out there and do this work because we have a lot at stake you know our children are at stake our grandchildren are at stake and so with that mindset we we really have to be mindful of, of how we're you know um uh, taking care of ourselves so you know holding that 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 space for ourselves and for those that are on the front lines doing this work. Um, I think that that's going to be really important, you know, and, and um, in moving forward, you know, and, and um, allowing to, um, for, like you were saying, allowing your students to heal, you know, allowing people to heal for, from not necessarily this election, but I think it's more about, it's about like how, how honest people have really become how how much they have really revealed the truth. And so it's not like this election um, was so much a surprise as more this election is about, okay, now it's time for us to mobilize, organize, be strategic, unify, you know, the collective consciousness of the people. We have to come together. We can't be caught up in those little petty things anymore. We have to take care of each other. So I think that the, those are important things to keep in mind as we move forward, you know, and as we do this work, 
you know, and um, more, you know, in, in the in the role that, that all of you have, you know, to not only support each other, but to also support, you know, um, all the upcoming, um, you know, young organizers, you know, all the, the young men and young women and children, you know, how do we continue to hold the sacred space for them um, and allow them to know that they can feel safe, that they have a safe space to come to, that they can organized that they can be heard and that we can move through this in a way where where it's going to be sustainable you know that's what we have to think about sustainability in this work you know so how do we do that how do we really do that um thank you Esme and michelle for sharing i think um these are really important lessons and knowledge you're sharing with us and the the work that we're doing sh that should be the end result is community building or creating or um together and so and this you know everyone has a different capacity and as as christine said you know we shouldn't shame each other for not expressing it in a certain way and you know and and then as as me and michelle were talking um it made me think of how women's work or even our work as mothers is all is you know all, not always but a lot of times it's invisible it's undervalued or it's taken for granted and um and i was thinking as michelle and as we were talking i was thinking of a, a book i'm reading right now it's called brown girl dreaming and uh by jacqueline woodson a black woman it's like a memoir written by a black woman and she talks about her childhood when she grew up during the era of uh, civil uh the civil rights so um but she's talking from her perspective as a child or it's written from her perspective as a child and she's talking about how her grandmothers uh would host you know discussions in their homes and they would cook for people and you know for women other black women to get together and she said in the memoir she says something like oh you would think it was just like an after church gathering if you're like walking down the street and you just like smell the dinner cooking but really it was the black women coming together cooking for each other having a space creating this space and that that also is part of organizing because it's the women who have sustained all of the you know all of this work um in ways that are not always visible um i mean all of the work is important but you know just you know the the front lines work the organizing is important but also the work in the home and the spaces that women create for each other is also important and necessary and for our children as well um so now we're gonna close we're gonna start to wrap up this circle so um this it's a little checkout so uh what we're gonna do now is um if anyone wants to share if there was something in particular that someone else said that you connected with um and then after that checkout then we'll go ahead and close the circle okay so for me For me, I wanted to, um, so, um, so we talked a little bit about how we felt connected to what others shared. Um, for me, Ceci, what you shared about um, your conversation with your son helped me because I talked to my daughter as well um, about it the next day. And so I was trying to tell her we're fighters, we're going to get through this. But she's like, fighters? You know, like, what do you mean? We, you told me not to fight. And so <laughs> I'm like, oh, I could have just told her we fight, you know, with love or, or whatever. And so that was, that's helpful for me to take in because it's been really hard on, on her as well as myself. And I think I, 
I, I showed so much um, fear um, when this was happening. And we were both watching TV, and so it was really hard for me to, like, you know, like, uh, not show fear. Um, and so I think it, it transferred to her that night. She couldn't sleep, and so she slept with me. Um, um, because I told her about how, you know, this mean guy, I, we do refer to him as a, as a mean, mean, mean man. Um, she calls him Trunk. So, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> but um, that's something that I take in. Um, and I also wanted to share how another, um, my sister had a class Wednesday or Tuesday night, and she shared about how um, she was going to present, um, she had a presentation, but that that day um, one of her um, friends um, was um, just walked into the class, and he was just so devastated because he was seeing the numbers, how, you know, there were so many people that were going for, for Trump that he just walked in there with disbelief, and so he didn't know what else to do he's like I didn't even want to show up to class but um you know um one of the things he asked for the class so it's it's bringing it back to creating those spaces however um students would like but he just asked the whole class if they could do a prayer um and so they so they did that and I mean just different ways of sort of supporting um the students was was cool and I just thought that's really cool that the professor or you know um, was able to open that space and give him that whatever he needed for for support and glad that he went to that class as well. So I do want to share that. Well, I think it's really good for me to connect with you all since we're all in different geographic spaces, just to kind of hear what we're feeling. To remind it, to be reminded of you know, the, the crises in our hearts, uh, but yet to be inspired by the like, collectivity that emerges in our conversations and knowing that it, it's sort of a lot of the same thing, but more acutely felt, right? And so we acknowledge that and respect what we've learned and know that we will be no, marching forward, marching forward as mothers, as community members, as teachers, you know. Um, and that for me has been really important. And it's just been uh, an honor really to share this time here with our comadre Esme, uh, to have her, despite the grief that she's feeling and the same sort of commitment that her father had, she has to providing us some words of, of wisdom and hope here in our circle and on our podcast today. So thank you, Esme. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle, for letting me be a part of this and always being a part of our family. And thank you to all of you guys for doing this work. You know, I think it's so important. It's, it's not honored and respected enough, you know, as mothers, you know, and, and daughters and women, you know, in the, in the academic world, you know. So I, I really appreciate each and every one of you. And I just leave with, you know, with the sentiment of, of my mom, you know, Isabel um, Enrique Sanchez. Um, you know, she, no matter what, she got up every day, every day and she kept going. You know, she, she raised six children through, through a time of crisis, you know, a time where, you know, our house was, um, was robbed. Nothing was stolen but papers, you know, and, and, and so my mother raised her children in that time of fear as well. And my mother supported her husband in that time of, you know, high, 
high high stress, high crisis as well. And so I think about her, you know, and, and how she continues to help to to take care of her her 15 grandchildren. You know, she just never stopped doing the work. And so every day when we think about how hard it is, or how are we going to move forward, or how are we going to keep this going, we have to think about the work that our mothers already laid out for us. So thank you again for letting me be a part of this. Um, <clears throat> I think I needed a good chillada. It's like the third time I cried today. It's not even noon over here. It was chillando. Um, but also, um, I think what resonated with me was uh, we carry the medicine, and sometimes I forget that. Um, but I also feel like I, I was just joking about how I'm going to have to carry the sage and the copal in my conch to campus for the next couple of weeks for folks who are uh, in need of it and just having these like impromptu healing circles, even if it's three or four of us. But um, like, okay, I remember like why I um, started carrying fire in the first place. Um, but that's what I can offer. And... Um, so that's something that kind of stood with me and stuck with me. Thank you, Ethne, for for reminding us and reminding me specifically uh, about that. Um, and like Uncle Uncle Al reminds me all the time. Is, uh, sometimes you know um, when we when we we're in ceremony, we we have to take this work to the to the community. We do it for the community. Um, and even though I'm feeling a little distraught, I think um, that's what what I can offer is is just those, those little circles for the folks because I'm exhausted um, either by protesting or just emotionally exhausted in campus, like resisting the institution while being there with the medicine. Um, so that's what I'm learning. That's what I, I, that's what I resonated. That's what resonated with me today. For me, um it's really hard for me to think about one thing. I think that just when a couple of folks have said about not shaming others is good. It's a good reminder for me because I, I shame myself a lot and I hate to admit it, but I, I experience a lot of guilt all the time. Like I never feel like I'm doing enough. And I never feel like I'm doing enough compared to my friends, my family. And I never feel like I have enough time. And so just to be reminded that Basically, any, what we do as a collective and individually, we're not going to be judging each other. If we make different decisions, but we're still fighting the fight in whatever ways we can, that it's okay. If some of us are suffering from mental health issues and can't be physically somewhere that I have support, you know, that type of, that that's resonating with me. Just And also what you mentioned, Christine, about we all have that medicine and we're walking with it and to just be reminded of that. Um, so that we're not walking in fear. Um, I think that's what that that's what's resonating with me the most right now. Okay, thank you, Mujeres. Thank you for sharing and creating this space um, and for our communal healing and resistance. Um, so now we're gonna close the circle. Um, and um, we just encourage everyone, our listeners, to uh, keep connecting with each other, supporting each other, and loving each other in whatever way that takes. 
because this is the only way that our community will get stronger. Um, now that we're that we we've closed the uh, the talking circle, processing circle. So now we're going to move on to um, a rotating segment. So we're going to talk about uh, tips for kids and parents. So Christine's going to talk a little bit about this. So um, for folks who are uh, thinking about going to protest and have children or are taking children, um, I spoke to a good friend whose brother is a criminal law a lawyer, and we have some tips for you. Um, one of them is, um, well, his name is Martin Caraves. He's, um, he's giving us some things to consider, some advice, although I'm not legally <laughs> trained to give advice. There's some things to think about. Um, he has a really awesome shirt that is a note to police, especially if protests take um, more an unexpected or... Um, direction and that usually what I, what we've learned is usually that happens at night right? like you don't know what happens at night right so there's there's these t-shirts you can wear not just for the nighttime protest <coughs> excuse me so this is what the back of the t-shirt says it says note to police please take notice that I do not waive any of my legal or constitutional rights I object to being detained or questioned I object to my person automobile residence or property being searched I demand that I be taken before admit a magistrate as required by law. If the detention is connected with a driving violation, I refuse to submit to any, to any field sobriety or coordination test. And if legally arrested, I contest I consent to a blood test. I demanded that my attorney, Mar Martin Caraves, and his phone number is 510-508-0118, be immediately notified of my detention or that I will be allowed to call him. Make this card part of the report concerning the contract. So that's basically what it says on the back of the T-shirt. And I think there's other folks who have shirts like this. And in the front, it has like his information for the like, for the legal services. So that's one way um, of actually like protecting yourself. Um, and again, I can give the information of his law offices. They're based off of Oakland, but folks in LA can definitely contact him. Um, and if you are interested in the t-shirt or just contacting his, his, his law office, you can um, reach him at the, well, let me give the title of the, the name of the law office is a law offices of Torres and Caraves at 510-953-5551. And again, look, they're located in Oakland, and you can also find their information either on Facebook or www.tcdefenselawyers.com. Um, and other things to consider if you're uh, from community activists and organizers who are going to these protests is, and you're, you're going with children, usually the advice that you take the kids during the day, because again, we don't know what happens at night. Always be in groups, don't be afraid, don't be at the front line with your children and always have your phone ready for videotape and always have your phone charged if possible. People and cops will be ready to call CPS if they think you're putting your child in danger or you're causing some kind of negligence. So that's one thing to consider. Most people with kids go early and they leave early before it gets crazy. Um, carry water, charge phone for videotaping, sunscreen, snacks, and good walking shoes. And uh, we'll upload a Know Your Rights document passed by one of our uh, colleagues who's also a lawyer. Um, on our website. Uh, so that's what we have, that's some of the stuff that I wanted to share in terms of what some of the lawyers and community activists are doing if you're participating in these protests with your children. 
All right, so um, I want to share a little more about how to be an ally, and I specifically want to share some information I got from aplus.com that I was offering a comic on how to stop Islamophobic attacks in four simple steps. So um, according to this uh, comic, um, I mean, we all know that following the election, uh, a lot of us have seen um, through social media that there have been a lot of reports of Islamophobic attacks all over the nation, at different campuses, uh, different locations. And uh, something that often um, happens is that people will end up being bystanders instead of actually doing something. And so the comic is saying that there are uh, multiple forms of non-complementary behavior that you can use to break that pattern and to diffuse a tense situation. So that would be like to diffuse, you know, an attacker who's, who's trying to like, who has found someone that they want to attack. Um, so step number one, if you're, if you're witnessing someone verbally harassing someone else, what you do is you go to the person being attacked, you sit beside them if you can, or stand beside them, say hello, remain calm, welcome them, and ignore the attacker. So whatever you do, ignore the attacker, don't make eye contact, just pretend that person is not there. Step two is to you know, engage in conversation. So talk about anything random, um, discuss it. It could be talking about the weather, it could be giving, offering the person a compliment, but whatever you do, like, again, ignore the attacker. So don't call attention to the attacker. Um, step three is to continue building a safe space, and you can do this by maintaining eye contact with the person being attacked. Do not acknowledge the attacker's presence. Um, the absence of the response from you is meant to push the attacker away and to encourage them to leave the area. Um, and then step four is to maintain that conversation until the attacker fully leaves. Um, and then you can either escort them to a safe space or a safe location if the attacker is not leaving. Um, keep them company and then respect their wishes if they tell you that they're okay and they want to go or if they want you to stay with them until they get to their location. Um, those are the four simple steps is, you know, in, in terms of if you witness, it's not just stopping Islamophobic attacks, it can be racist, sexist attacks of any kind in public. Okay, and so I have um, another one that I'll go ahead and, and share it on Facebook as well. So it's from Video Rev, which um, they have, they build media that spreads sort of goodwill. And so they have five ways to disrupt racism. And these are films that they have um, for action. And now that there's been this huge rise in racism after the elections, um, you know, one of the things that we ask is, what are we doing about it? Um, so the five steps are. One, don't be a bystander. So um, as, as um, Yvette mentioned, um, you know, as, as victims, we're forced to defend ourselves. So um, if you witness that, don't, you know, don't just stand there, but make sure to um, appropriate um, with the response. So, it, you know, again, it says, you know, make sure that, um, that you're standing right there with that person to support him and sort of... Um, do you know what Yvette was mentioning? Mentioning, but um, to add to that is um, film it and and make sure to report it. I think the assumption is that you know someone's going to report it, or someone's doing a video for it. And while there is a lot of videos out there in media, um, we never know when it might be us in present. So unfortunately, we have to be prepared for that and always make sure to report it to the police and not just let it be a uh, you know a horrifying experience that we get home and we just you know are are 
are having to deal with it by ourselves without getting the you know police involved is something that should be reported. Um, the third step is to stick around um, for the victim in case you do see somebody um, and ask them if they need help. Do they need a friend? They need a glass of water, or you know, do they need help or you know, offer if to take them home or whatever. Um, and number four is tackle the culture of racism. So call it, even if nobody's presence, if they assume like, oh, you know, you won't say anything, don't tackle that right there. Um, whether it's uh, about any anybody else that's not present, you have to make sure that you um, call it out right away. Um, and then number five is actively fight racism. Um, so we need to understand that racism, you know, um, it is endemic and it is ex does exist in everyday structures, and so we need to um, challenge it. And so that's what it talks about too. You, you know, having these discussions, having these um, cam anti-racist campaigns or protests that we're attending if we, if we can, anything um, to sort of um, end that replication of racism that's going around. Those are the five um, five uh, ways to disrupt it that that they give a, that, that they suggest. All right, thank you, Yvette and Judy. Um, so now we're going to uh, go to our shout outs. Um, so my shout out is for Aloncito, my son who's a first grader, and Leah who's a third grader, and the daughter of uh, Marianne from Boyle Heights. So, you know, two little brown babies. And um, so shout outs to them for holding it down the day after the election. Um, because when we picked them up from school, Aloncito and Leah were having a conversation about what that meant for them or the ways that they were understanding it the day after. So um, I admire their leadership because it, it will really be our youth, the youth of color, who will lead us to the next revolution. And um, also shout out to Alancito's fist pumps. He was very excited at the march in, in downtown LA. So, um, and so I was proud that we were just like a small part of that. And Alancito's energy always brings me happiness. So um, my shout out goes out to the homies in the movement, um, the elders, the children taking the streets. Um, just remembering how powerful it is to to go to these actions. Um, to La Guayaba Kitchen, a really good friend of mine who um, every time I go over her house, I feel like I get re like regenerated. Um, she's an old school friend of mine who we used to organize with in high schools where we used to organize the walkouts in um, San Fernando High School. Um, and that's how we got involved with the Achucha. So shout out to Guayaba for your healing energy and for your amazing food. Um, to Hanitio, who says he's an awesome skateboard player. He associates like everything with being a player, like baseball player, hockey player. Mm -hmm. So I told him I would say that in the radio today for him. <laughs> and to my 10, um, Chicano Studies 10A 2G discussion, all my students, um, remember we talked about it's not about being white, it's about white supremacy. Um, and thank you for opening up yourselves to think about what that means in terms of Chicano history and culture, but currently, like I was asking, what, how is it relevant now, right? And like, this is very relevant now. So, um, thanks for doing some work, intellectual work, and spiritual work, and um, physical work to get out your, get yourselves out there, protesting, and taking care of each other. I want to send out a shout out to my brave Lunita for standing up. So I, I shared on Facebook on how, you know, after the elections, Lunita was standing in line and um, 
uh, one of the kids that's uh, you know used to bugger, um, you know, had jumped for joy sharing that Trump was a new president. Um, you know, she came home not knowing how to um, deal with it, and so um, you know she shared it, but she you know didn't want to make too too much a big deal. But the next day, um, she comes to me, and as soon as she gets to the car, and she's like, "Hey, mom, guess what? You know, so and so, you know, he doesn't like Trump." trunk anymore trump <laughs> i'm starting to say trunk too <laughs> um he doesn't like him anymore and i said oh really why and she's like oh i because i explained to him i told him that you know he takes kids away from their mommies and daddies so he's like oh, okay i don't like him anymore and so i thought that was really cool because she handled that you know by herself and um, she stood up for what she believes in which is what we talk about in that in our house and so I felt like she's, you know, changing somebody's mind um, one kid at a time, you know, <laughs> revolutionizing. So hopefully it doesn't fire back the next day, the next week of school with, you know, once his parents find out what she said. But I'm so proud of her. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, shout outs to my colleagues at the office. Um, the day after the election, a lot of us were wearing black um, and just it just so happened we all decided to wear black that day. And. Some some of us were crying. Some of us needed to process and vent. And I really appreciated that my boss um, made space for that, and that you know she she shared uh, with us basically her reactions, and we all kind of just you know took a seat and and had a, a really nice moment to be able to talk about the election and processing and what it means and how we can. Um, best support our students so shout out to my colleagues shout out to my students the students who have still been have still been coming into the office despite how hard it is for them to even get up and get out of their dorms apartments homes etc um, I also want to uh, give a shout out to my clients um, I've been working with uh, coaching and editing clients lately and um, it's been it's been really wonderful to work with folks and to support them and to have them support me uh, for it to be a mutual process. Um, I'm really grateful to my clients that they're like basically keeping um, my family afloat right now. And so, um, uh, yeah, shout outs to to colleagues, to friends, to family. I've been trying to spend a lot of more time make time for that, even though you know the weekends just fly by. You just gotta make space for that. Um, and then, of course, we all want to give a huge shout out to Esme. Um, she stepped out after the, uh, or she and Michelle stepped out after the healing circle. And we, we want to give a huge, huge shout out to her for her wise words, for taking the time. Um, even though we know that she's going through a grieving mourning process, I think it, it means so much that she was willing to uh, share this space with us. So a huge, huge shout out to Esme. Thank you so much for for your company and your support. And just so we can remind folks um, that our Chicana Motherwork Anthology is still accepting um, abstracts for the call for papers, you can definitely check out chicanamotherwork.wixsite.com, my site. By clicking all projects, um, you can find the call for papers, which are due on December 15th. So um, definitely encourage you and just a gentle reminder to please submit. There's a lot of interest and we want to definitely um, publish this anthology. Um, I think with the change of the um, climate, clim not just generally the climate, but all the, you know, the electoral climate, we definitely have a lot to say. Um, and I do want to do a plug-in for Yvette. And as an editor, although I am going to write a testimonial, she's pretty chingona. Like, 
She's amazing. So, Judy, remember I was telling about her as an editor? Yeah. <laughs> She's pretty amazing. So, um, I really I highly encourage um, folks to hire her. Um, she's really good. She asks really hard questions. You're like, fuck, I have to like think about what she like this question. She's good. So she edited um, some of my documents. So highly, highly encourage you to hit her up for editing services. Um, I think you want to talk about the Boyle Heights thing, Sissy? Yeah, so then the last announcement that we have is that um, for folks in the Boyle Heights or uh, LA area, we are going to um, uh, co-organize a, a healing talking circle. So kind of based on what we did earlier in the podcast, but for uh, younger kids, like elementary school age kids. Um, so with the support from um, Espacio in Boyle Heights and uh, Mayra, who's a Chicana mama, she's an early childhood educator, activist and community member. So. Um, so we're going to work with her to, we want to create this space. And some questions I was thinking about is, you know, what does this election mean for our children of color, for mothers of color, um, and especially for those most vulnerable in our communities, like children whose parents or guardians are undocumented, queer, Muslim, you know, women identified, black people, you know, and brown people. So how can we center children's voices in leadership? So I really think... Um, you know, that conversation between Aloncito and Leia really just made me think about how can we support them and their experiences and, um, you know, and kind of, you know, help them um, to, you know, center their uh, their voices and concerns and knowing that they are supported and that they are powerful. So um, we're going to post more details about the event soon. Um, and so we're thinking next weekend, you know, before Thanksgiving break. So, um, but we'll let you all know. And um, that's all we have for today. If y'all have any questions, either email us at chicanamotherwork at gmail.com or um, ask the question on our Chicana Motherwork Facebook group. So if any of this resonated with you, if you have any questions, you want to get together for the kids circle, anything, anything, just email us or contact us via the Facebook group. And just a plug-in on some of the healing um, herbs and um, things that you can definitely look uh, into buying. Can I read this? Um, so the agua that agua de rosa that that says he brought, um, it's from Yerberia Mayoel. Um, definitely encourage folks to purchase from her. There's also Bere Berenice, um, Cantos de la Tierra. She has really beautiful um, tinctures, and I think Fe also makes tinctures and, and, and pomadas and herbs but I think all of us if we talk to the plant the plant life you will know um, that you have everything we need and I guess it's, uh, it's about looking right so hit up your local curandera bruja for your your medicine bruja power <laughs> bruja power <laughs> so um so thank you all for listening you know we see you and we hear you and so we see your babies
a park where all the viejitos could come in the tarde and just sit down and watch the sun go down. A park where all the familias could come and just get together on a Sunday afternoon and celebrate the spirit of life itself. But the city of San Diego said, Chale, we're going to make a highway patrol substation here. So on April the 22nd, 1970, La Raza of Logan Heights and other Chicano communities got together and they walked down the land and they took it over with their picks and their shovels and they began to build their own park. And today, almost 20 years later, that little piece of land under the Coronado Bridge in San Diego is known to people everywhere as Chicano Park. Orale, Raza, vamos al parque. It began in 1970. 